two years after founding the Huffington Post, I collapsed. I collapsed from burnout, sleep deprivation, exhaustion, hit my head on my desk, broke my cheekbone. And that was a little bit, for me, like the the bomb that blew up in my head and rewired my brain. Uh, Because I literally, as I was going from doctor to doctor, from echocardiogram to brain MRIs to find out what was wrong with me, I had time to look at my life and uh, also look at our culture. I'm Dan Schulman, the president and CEO of PayPal and a longtime devotee of Krav Maga. Welcome to my podcast, Never Stand Still, where I explore some of the guiding principles I've learned in martial arts and interview world-class CEOs, creators, and changemakers about how those philosophies apply to their lives as they perform at the top of their game. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the power of a reset. Ironically, sometimes it's achieving success that shows how important it is to take some time off work and recharge. So how can you recognize the signs of burnout when you're at the peak of your own career? How can something as simple as sleep be such a powerful reset? And how can you better design your life with your well-being in mind? Here's Krav Master Kelly Campbell on how what you do when you're not fighting can help you win. Hi, I'm Kelly Campbell. I've trained within the Krav Maga Worldwide System for over 20 years. I'm a fifth degree black belt and the highest ranking female instructor in the US. Taking care of yourself when you're not fighting makes all the difference in the outcome. If you haven't taken care of your mind and body in the hours, days, and months leading up to a confrontation, there's no way you can perform at your best. In Krav Maga, you have to invest in your physical and mental health. They are your greatest assets. To understand the remarkable evolution of Ariana Huffington, we have to start at the beginning and go all the way back to the little one-bedroom apartment in Athens, Greece, where she grew up. Ariana's parents had been devastated by the Holocaust. Her father was a survivor of a Nazi concentration camp. She was raised primarily by her mother. There was a lot of tension, but not a lot of money. However, even in those early days, she had big ambitions. You didn't speak English at the time, and you wind up somehow at Cambridge University. You're like the third woman president of the Cambridge Union. Like, how in the world did that happen from that origin to Cambridge University? You know, Dan, I really believe that there is a kind of blueprint to our life, that things are not arbitrary. They may look incredibly arbitrary the way you're Uh describing them. But there is some kind of blueprint. And I feel with me, the way the blueprint played out is that I was coming home from school and I saw um, a magazine with a picture of Cambridge University. And something drew me to that picture. So I, I got home and I 
opened the magazine and I said to my mother and my younger sister, you know, I want to go there. And um, I said that to everybody who would listen. And everybody said to me, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> you don't speak English. You don't have any money. And it's hard even for English girls to get into Cambridge. My mother said, let's find out how you can get there. And um, so literally she found out that I could learn English at the British Council, take my, what they call my general certificates of education, take my entrance exam, everything. I mean, it seemed like a very long shot, to put it mildly. The great thing about my mother, and it was kind of amazing, what she taught me is that we are going to try, we're going to do everything we can to get you into Cambridge. But if you don't get into Cambridge, it's no big deal. So it was the combination of, yes, we'll give it 100%, but life is a grand adventure. That was her philosophy. And if this doesn't work, there will be another adventure for us to go down. And so there was no pressure. It wasn't like, oh my God, you know, if I don't get into Cambridge, my life is over. And in fact, she used to say something that I, I like to repeat now to a young entrepreneurs, which is um, failure is not the opposite of success. It's a stepping stone to success. Mm. Because very often this fear of failing stops us from taking risks. And as you know, <laughs> um, it's very hard to succeed in any entrepreneurial way if you're not willing to take risks. I think there are very, very few people in the world that actually know, like from like the time they're five years old, like Bill Clinton, I think was famous saying like, when I was five years old, I imagined myself being president. I think he's like the only person in the world I know who had that plan. Like for me, my life has been like a series of, of steps. Like I go in one direction and from that, I go in another direction and eventually it all builds up to kind of where I am. And if I look backwards, it all seems logical, but at the time, it was just kind of like one thing uh, after another. And I think one thing you said, like, if you can imagine something, you know, you can manifest it. It can happen. And I, I believe in that power. But I also think your point was a really good one. If it doesn't happen, it's not the end of the world. I mean, my dad once said to me, people plan and God laughs. And, I, you know, it was such a beautiful saying, like, just because you want it, that doesn't mean that's the way life is going to work out. Absolutely. And also, Dan, as you know from your life and I know from my life, often it's bad things that happen, tragic yeah. things that change us in profound ways that change our lives. And I was very moved reading about your sister's death and yeah. what this did for you. And actually, I have, I'm, I'm a compulsive researcher. What can I do? So, <laughs> so I have here some that you said. You said it was like a bomb blew up in my head and redid all the wiring in my brain. And I thought that was incredibly profound because that's how it is. It made me feel of big things in my life, difficult things, and how they do rewire your brain. Tragedy really does feel like a brain injury in some ways. Things will never be the same, but you can rewire yourself into a more resilient person with the proper care 
and attention. We've all had to face difficult moments. This is a common theme of my conversations on this podcast. And those hardships can be defining in positive ways if you can take the tough lessons from them. Or they can drag you down if you can't get back up. You know, I've seen evidence of that in many circumstances. Absolutely. And we see that with COVID. And that's why resilience has become a word we use so much because some people have used COVID as a pause of quote-unquote normal life that has deepened them, has led to them reevaluating their lives and what matters to them. And others have been so shaken and um, almost defeated by it. And a lot of that has to do with our own capacity to deal with adversity. Another thing my mother used to say is that life is shaped from the inside out. And the only thing we can control is our own response to what happens to us. And that's a learned skill. It's not like we are either born with that gift or we are not. It's it's a muscle we can train. Ariana is the perfect example of someone who has developed this muscle. Early in her career, back in 1973, she wrote her first book entitled The Female Woman, and it was a major success. However, Ariana didn't want to keep reiterating on the same topic, but switching her focus to political leadership for her next book proved challenging. Nevertheless, she persisted. If I remember, you were rejected something like 37 times on that book. It took you like four years. You had to get a loan from a bank to get through. Like, talk a little bit about that. That must have been like a a bit of like a punch in the gut for you as you were like, wait a minute, I thought I was a success and here I am like one rejection after another. How did you persevere through that? Yes, you're absolutely right. Well, I went from a big international bestseller in 27 languages, etc., to 37 rejections, uh, running out of money. <laughs> but again, here's what is interesting. I really believe that the fact that I chose to follow my heart and not stay on the subject of women, because sometimes when you have a success, it becomes a trap. Like I had written in that book absolutely everything I knew about the changing role of women, Dan. There was nothing else I knew. I was 24. And yet everybody wanted me to keep basically regurgitating that in articles, in TV shows. And I wanted, I feel part of what I love most about life is the constant opportunities to learn. So I wanted to explore this topic that I was fascinated by. I studied economics and politics at Cambridge, which was the the whole idea of political leadership. But nobody wanted to buy it. And when I read it now, Dan, it's kind of so heavy going. Mm. <laughs> it's like so <laughs> academic in a bad way. And <laughs> so I don't, I don't blame them. I'm surprised somebody published it, although I have to say, I think, I th- I think it sold 3,000 copies. But it taught me so much, including perseverance, 
also trusting in life. You know, when I'd run out of money, I remember I was living in London at the time. I remember walking down St. James's Street and thinking, well, maybe I have to really go get a job. I can't pretend I'm going to be a writer. And then I saw Barclays Bank at the corner and something made me go in, ask to see the manager and ask for a loan, or as they call it in the UK, an overdraft. (laughs) Now, I had no money. I had no assets. For some reason, this manager gave it to me. His name is Ian Bell. I still send him a holiday card every year. And it reminded me of You know, fairy tales when the hero or the heroine is lost in a dark forest and suddenly these helpful animals come out Mm -hmm. and they help the hero or the heroine to get through the forest. And I feel there are people in our lives, you know, there could be bank managers, friends, colleagues who are the equivalent of helpful animals in fairy tales. Wow, that's such a beautiful story. We all need an Ian Bell at some point in our lives. And helpful animals in fairy tales is such a brilliant metaphor for the unsung people who come through for us at pivotal moments in our lives. Ariana trusted her instincts, even when her book sales and her bank account were telling her no. And ultimately, she was right. And so was Ian Bell for taking a chance on her, because this pivot eventually led to one of her biggest hits. You were amongst the very earliest of folks to realize the power of digital media. The Huffington Post was like a breakthrough. All of us who were in the internet era, you know, myself included at that, who were working on different business models and... The Huffington Post was like amongst the most famous of of the digital media properties. And how did that start about? How did you kind of seize upon that? I know you were working with Ken and others. Like, how did that all happen? So um, I became um, fascinated with blogging. Remember <laughs> blogging at that time. <laughs> It was um, despised. It was seen as like people who couldn't get a job in their parents' basements blogging. And I thought this is like something actually that can be elevated. So the Huffington Post from the beginning was a combination of a new site, but also a site where people could uh, enter the conversation in Mm -hmm. politics, in uh, Uh, arts, music, uh, entertainment, lifestyle, any topic, and share their view and move on. And my goal was to invite people who could have written for the New York Times, like they had platforms, they had big profiles, and uh, that way elevate blogging for everyone. And it did, you know, we launched on day one with Larry David and Ellen DeGeneres and Walter Cronkite and uh, John Cusack and people talking about different things going on in, in the world. And the reason why a lot of the people kept doing it is because it was much easier than submitting an op-ed to the New York Times. <laughs> Literally, I remember Nora Ephron when it was um, revealed who Deep Throat was, and at the time, you know, she had been married to 
Carl Bernstein. Mm-hmm. Everybody wanted her to go on CNN, write for the New York Times to explain what did that feel like. And she called me up and she said, you know, I just wrote it for the Huffington Post. I don't need to go into a studio and put makeup on. I don't need to deal with the editors of the New York Times. Here it is. And she said to me, just watch. Everybody will pick it up. So suddenly people realized that it no longer mattered as much where something appeared. If it was interesting, everybody else uh, would quote it. And so So that's how we began to see the world of opinion changing. And um, on the news front, we passionately believed in totally adopting the best precepts of investigative journalism. You know, um, the Huffington Post won a Pulitzer because of Mm -hmm. our investigative journalism. So it was a combination of the best of the old and the best of the new. The Huffington Post was a huge deal, and Ariana was definitely at the top of her game. But when you're firing on all cylinders and you're being pulled in a million directions, it's tough to admit you need a break, even to yourself. We all talk about the rat race, but it's really more like a treadmill. For a while there, it seemed like you were everywhere. I mean, everywhere. Like you were writing multiple articles every single week. You were a commentator on almost every channel. You were on talk shows. I know you're still writing books. Like, what drove you at that time? Was it like internal pressures? Was it feeling like you had to up the ante constantly? I'm just, everywhere I looked, there you were. You know, Dan, that wasn't such a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I, I know. (laughs) Because I think... I really, well, I don't think I know that I had bought into the collective delusion, which is still around, although not as prominent, that in order for me to be super founder and super mom, I was the divorced mother of two teenage daughters at the time. I had to be always on. I couldn't disconnect. I couldn't take care of myself. And Two years after founding the Huffington Post, I collapsed. I collapsed from burnout, sleep deprivation, exhaustion, hit my head on my desk, broke my cheekbone. And that was a little bit for me like the the bomb that blew up in my head and rewired my brain. Uh, Because I literally, as I was going from doctor to doctor, from echocardiogram to brain MRIs to find out what was wrong with me, I had time to look at my life and uh, also look at our culture. And especially when I was diagnosed with burnout, (laughs) which at the time, you know, wasn't a word much used. You know, now, of course, you can hardly open a newspaper or a magazine without reading about burnout and employers dealing with employee burnout, et cetera, et cetera. But at the time, you know, it wasn't very well known as as an occupational hazard. In fact, it took until 2019 for the World Health Organization to acknowledge it as an occupational hazard. So it was in a way the best thing that could have happened to me because I think I would probably be dead by now. Instead, I um, became totally obsessed with the topic. 
And I started covering it relentlessly at the Huffington Post. By the time I left in 2016, 50% of our traffic was coming from these topics, sleep, uh, burnout, uh, mm-hmm. um, behavioral issues instead of politics, and uh, probably 80% of our revenue. <laughs> wow. In 2014, Ariana wrote a book called Thrive, the third metric to redefining success and creating a life of well-being, wisdom, and wonder, in which she redefined what it means to be successful beyond the typical metrics of money and power. And it was these new ideas and values that led Ariana to found her new company, Thrive Global. Thrive became the philosophical foundation for Thrive Global, the company that I left the Huffington Post in 2016 to found, because by then I realized that that was really what was in my heart, that I really wanted to spend the rest of my life helping be part of this cultural transformation that I believe, Dan, is so essential, which is to recognize that just money and power slash status is not what makes a good life. I totally accept the value of these two metrics. It's not like I'm saying let's abandon them. But let's add what I call the third metric of success to to build a truly successful life. And the third metric has these four pillars, well-being and health, which now is more important than ever, Wisdom, which is the connection with our own internal wisdom. You know, you, you're a great practitioner of martial arts, so you know that in a lot of Eastern wisdom, there is the saying that knowing others is knowledge, but knowing ourselves is wisdom. And mm-hmm. so that's really what wisdom ultimately means. It's that recognition that life is shaped from the inside out. And the third is wonder. You know, modern life has kind of lost for millions of people that sense of wonder about life, the mystery of life, nature, just the incredible magic of being alive despite all the pain and the challenges that fill all our lives every day, and finally giving. So that is a complete life. (laughs) And if you truncate it down to just money and status, you're missing out on what makes a full, complete life. And you know, Dan, I really believe that the great resignation that's going on right now. I was just gonna ask you about that actually, yeah or the great re-evaluation, as we're also describing it, is very, very connected with that. You know, there are many elements, like in any um, big transformation. Uh, There is burnout that affects people living. There is um, working mothers who have a hard time, you know, being teachers and working. But there is also that deep re-evaluation of life. While in the past, millions of people would get on the escalator of a career and never look back. It's like it was about the next promotion, the next hill to climb. And now there's a lot of questioning. Is this what really makes me fulfilled, happy? 
you know, there are people giving up jobs that pay more to do jobs that have more meaning and purpose. There are people who uh, put their life ahead of their career. And I feel it's an amazing moment. And it's going to lead to something that was very needed even before the pandemic. Ariana took a personal hardship and transformed it into a business model that helps us collectively hit the reset button. She always tends to be ahead of the trend, but now that burnout is a part of the zeitgeist after a long pandemic, people are finally ready to hear the message. People are now reevaluating aspects of life they used to accept, like long commutes. More holistic approaches with a renewed focus on health, well-being, and even sleep are gaining in popularity. In Ariana's recent book, The Sleep Revolution, she explores the transformative power of sleep. Well, in fact, Dan, after my burnout diagnosis, I started studying the phenomenon of sleep and uh, saw how sleep is foundational to our immunity and to the health of our brain. And now, you know, we have amazing research that connects sleep deprivation to cognitive decline, obviously to mental health problems. So one of the reasons I wrote that book in 2016 and also left HuffPost to found Thrive Global is because we had begun to see a change. Like people were beginning to recognize that the importance of sleep, the importance of self-care. So I started getting questions, not does sleep really matter, but how do I get sleep? So we went from, is that really important, to how do I get it? In order to help people with that, I need, I'm wearing my aura ring, incidentally. I see it. I see it. (laughs) That tracks my sleep. So in order to help people with that, I needed to build a product company. I couldn't do it through a media company. You know, I could continue raising awareness through a media company, but I wanted to go beyond awareness. I wanted to go from awareness to action because awareness is not enough. I I run across so many people who know what they should be doing. They know, you know, they need to sleep more or move more or eat less sugar, but it's hard. So that's why I built Thrive and spent the first three years really with a team doing hundreds of seminars in 47 countries, working with behavioral change scientists to crack the code of behavior change. It's the hardest thing in the world, changing behaviors. And we launched our product in March, 2020 And I really believe it's cracked the code of behavior change by bringing together science, ancient wisdom, and storytelling. You know, a lot of behavior change apps focus on just nudges and science, which is incredibly important, but you also need to touch the heart. You need to inspire people, empower them. And it's been kind of amazing. And then the pandemic hit and it was a huge accelerant because, you know, we are a a SaaS enterprise product 
And after the pandemic, we really didn't have to convince companies that this was important. In fact, concern for employee well-being and mental health was no longer the promise just of the HR department. It was part of C-suite conversations and board conversations. And so now, Dan, I really believe we are in a once-in-a-generation opportunity to redefine productivity, to redefine how we work and live. Ariana is precisely right. Individuals and companies are much more willing to acknowledge that healthcare is not just about physical health. There's certainly an increased emphasis at PayPal. We spend as much energy thinking about our employees' physical mental and financial health as we do about anything else. So how can we build better habits to support our well-being? Well, Thrive Global launched a reset app over the summer to help get you started. You know, a lot of good apps are point solutions, like a meditation app, a sleep app. But the truth is that we are all interconnected. So. We have six journeys in our app. The first is recharge, which is sleep, and 60-second resets during the day. Food is the second. Movement, focus, which is incredibly important because we are increasingly addicted to our phones and (laughs) social media and games. And if we don't learn to set boundaries, we are going to burn out not because of work, but because of our other addictions. Money, as you know, money is a huge source of mental, emotional, and physical stress. And the connection, giving, community. So you need everything together. And so people using our app can pick a journey to start or start with more than one journey. And it's all broken down into micro steps tiny daily incremental steps that lead to building healthier habits. And of all the things in the app, my absolute favorite actually, Dan, is Reset, which is the 60-second resets that you can incorporate during your day so that stress does not become cumulative. Because science makes it very clear that stress is unavoidable. But cumulative stress, which is the killer that leads to hypertension, that kind of cumulative stress is avoidable. Ariana is in the business of helping people build better lives by avoiding this type of cumulative stress. One of her hacks is that she doesn't allow devices in her bedroom at night. I wanted to know more about the impact of implementing this change. One of our micro steps, that's actually one of my favorite micro steps, is to pick a time at the end of your day, whatever time that is, Dan, uh, that you declare the end of your working day. The truth is that I bet there is no one listening to us now, and I'm sure not you or me, who has a real end to your working day. You know, we could stay up all night handling things, answering emails, texts, Slack messages, whatever. So you need to declare that end to the working day. And uh, we are all creatures of rituals. And my ritual is to turn off my phone 
and my laptop and charge them outside my bedroom. We have even produced a little um, phone bed. It looks like a phone bed. It's a charging station for phones. And we're selling it at cost. You can buy it on Amazon for holiday presents because it's not really a profit-making center for us. It's a behavior change (laughs) center. Uh, Because if you leave it outside your bedroom, then um, you, your spouse, your children, if you have children living at home, can all charge their phones there. And it becomes a way to start a healthier habit. And there's a little blankie. You can put your phone under the blankie. You can pack it in. Uh, Dan, I'm happy to send you one. It comes Uh, mahogany and light wood. I I could probably use that to tell you the truth. I I always say to my team that work abhors a vacuum. It will fill every moment of your life if you let it. And I think um, figuring out these ways, Ariana, that we can uh, learn to create time for ourselves, I think is really, really important. Ariana has already shared so much wisdom. But, of course, I had to ask the question I keep returning to throughout these conversations. Have you ever gotten knocked down so hard you could hardly get up? How did you overcome it, and what lessons did you learn from it? Ariana seems to have perfected the art of getting back up better than ever, each and every time. So how does she do it? I think partly because there is a spiritual center to my life. And I find that that spiritual center helps me through all the hard times because life ultimately is about us evolving um, into a better and better version of ourselves. It's not just about amassing successes and money. It is about our own transformation through whatever life throws our way. And if you see life that way, then it changes the way you deal with challenges and adversity. And I see that um, the latest um, big challenge in my life has been that my youngest daughter was hit by a bike uh, outside her apartment in the village uh, three and a half years ago, hit her head on the pavement and has been suffering through debilitating headache since. She actually wrote a book about it because for her, it has also been an opportunity for spiritual transformation. And so she chronicles her medical journey and her spiritual journey, and she does it with humor. And I think for me, this has been an incredible education as a mother, watching her and seeing how she's dealing with it and watching myself deal with it. And this combination of bringing in a spiritual dimension and also a sense of perspective has been key. So she wrote this audible original called Map to the Unknown. And for some reason, you would have thought it's a heavy book, Mm -hmm. but it's not because finding in everything that lightness, that perspective, uh, makes it easier for us to go through whatever struggles come our way. And 
we are talking before we started recording about your daughter starting to become a rabbi. And I love that because I think there's something so profound in the, just to take one uh, practice of Shabbat, Mm -hmm. Um, because it really is, whether you're Jewish or not, it really sums up the recognition that we need to put our life and our work in perspective. And taking a day uh, to disconnect from work and the daily life and reconnect with ourselves is just very, very profound. And in a way, you know, every spiritual tradition has some form of that. And now, through science, we are validating all that ancient wisdom. Yeah, yeah. First of all, I hope that your daughter uh, continues to get better and feel better and uh, give her my best. And second, I, I just think that's very profound wisdom and, uh, and a beautiful perspective. So thank you for that. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for everything you are doing and the opportunity to share in a deeper way with you. Thanks again, Ariana. It was wonderful to connect in a deeper way with you as well. That was a great interview. I'm so impressed by Ariana's whole trajectory and how she's made thoughtful, intentional decisions over the years to co-create the incredible blueprint of her life and career. And her work restoring sleep and well-being to their rightful place of prominence within our society benefits us all. So what can you take away from this conversation to value your own well-being? Can you learn to unplug when you need a break or it's time for bed? What boundaries would help you create a better work-life balance? And can you prioritize giving yourself regular resets to avoid a big crash burnout? If you could use a reset or just want to build healthier habits, check out Thrive in the App Store. I'm Dan Shulman. Thanks for listening to this edition of Never Stand Still. Kida. I loved it. I have no idea what time it is. I have no idea what time it is either. Wow, okay. I mean, we could have just gone on and on. I wish we were at dinner together because it would have been a great conversation. <laughs>